and peace. What I'm going to talk about this morning is oftentimes if you don't have hope, you won't have peace. And then obviously it depends on what your hope is in. So my hope is in the fact that I can communicate without using my right arm this week, which is really pretty tough for me since I'm slingless, but I really shouldn't be having it up in the air. So as high as I'll go is this. My wife gave me permission to not wear the sling today. So we are, uh, actually she didn't give me permission, I just took the liberty. We're in the fourth and uh, final week of a series on Philippians. And obviously studying it to teach it, I've gained a lot out of it. I hope that you've gained at some point a deeper understanding of this book. That's a great book. Uh, Paul's been sharing with the church in Philippi his own gratefulness and and challenges them to sort of live a life worth living. What's the true meaning of life he shared with them? He's not distracted, of course. He's still in prison, so he's in a pretty good spot to explain what really matters and what's really not all that important in life. So we come to the final section of the letter where he talks about their emotions, specifically peace, inner peace. And anytime we talk about emotions, we get into the diversity of personal experiences. If I went around the room and asked each one of you, what does it mean to you to have peace? We would all give very different answers. Even though we're talking about the same emotional state, we would have very different answers. And I'm guessing from my own experience of working with people on a regular basis that many of the answers would be related to the world around you in terms of what brings you peace. Your answers might be related to kids or marriage or grandkids or finances or personal health or world peace. They would all need to line up in some fashion in order for you to have peace. Which isn't totally surprising because that's essentially the same list we talked about last week when we were talking about the things that had the potential of being a distraction to a heart devoted to God, which I think is kind of interesting. Or maybe peace to you means more the environment or the setting, music, calm, the night sky, quiet. And the same diversity of opinions would be true if I asked each one of you, What makes you anxious? The responses would vary quite a bit. And again, again, the same emotional label. So Paul tackles this large subject. But since he's inspired by God and writing to the church, there's probably something in there for us as well. So he starts this chapter referring to some relational conflicts between a few women. Now, he doesn't go into a lot of detail with that, so neither will I. But he ends the thread with the same injunction that he spoke of in chapter 3. We read that last week. He says, rejoice in the Lord. And he says it twice, always. Rejoice in the Lord. And so today we're going to cover a little bit of the Greek. Not that you have to learn Greek or that I even know Greek. But the references are too good out there. But we're going to unpack the words on a couple of occasions because we're going to catch a bigger fragrance or a bigger meaning to these words. So when he says rejoice in the Lord, the Greek word for rejoice, as I said last week, is to thrive or to be glad in, exceedingly rejoice in the Lord. And the Greek word for Lord, which is pretty interesting, kurios, which is a title given to God or the Messiah. 
But the literal translation, kurios, means to whom a person belongs. To the one who has the power or the control or the owner. So now we're getting pretty personal because we're not talking about the big guy in the sky. Paul is talking about thriving or rejoicing in the one who has control over our lives. See, Paul is talking to folks who are Christians. They're Christ followers, and they know the power and the importance of Jesus dying on the cross for their sins. Paul is talking to folks who had an understanding of, even if they are working out some of the details, the sovereignty of God, which is a fancy term for God being in control of everything. And Paul was the same person who wrote in the letter to Romans about God causing all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. So again, he's setting the groundwork for his words to follow in this chapter related to to peace. See, true peace cannot be obtained without a full understanding of and a personal relationship with God, the Messiah, the one who is in control of your life. And depending on where you are in your spiritual journey, this may sound a little odd, maybe something you're kind of working through or learning. Self-help books and self-help strategies will not land them in perfect peace. Focusing more on their inner self would not help them find peace. There was no peace, think this one through, at the foot of the cross when Jesus was dying. But yet that horrific event brought peace. Scripture uses that title for Jesus, Prince of Peace. Imagine folks in that day referring to the cross saying, let's find a cure for this. Let's find another way around for this. God wants Jesus to be happy. Imagine if the cross didn't happen. 2 Corinthians 5, you know the verse, it says, God made him Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Jesus took on sin. He received the consequences of all sin on the cross. Jesus died with a cry. I'm told that most suffering, death by crucifixion, pass out hours earlier. Jesus had the sin of the world on him that we could be the righteousness of God. So full circle, Paul told them to rejoice in, to thrive, to be exceedingly glad in God, the Messiah, the one who has control over your life as a starting point for being filled with peace. Now we could stop there. And if we practice that, that alone would give us tremendous peace. Just to thrive in the one who has control over you. But he goes on and adds more. So let's read the chapter together. Just a few verses of the chapter. Philippians 4, 4 through 13, if you're following on another device. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. 
And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence, and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak from want, for I've learned to be content in whatever circumstance I'm in. I know how to get along with humble means. I know how to live in prosperity in any and every circumstance. I've learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. Let's pray. God, these are your words. These are inspired by you. God, show us today what Paul, talking to the church then, might apply to us now. And God, allow us to find our peace in you, our hope in you, and that we would all be guilty of rejoicing in you. God, we love you and thank you for loving us. In Christ's name, amen. So after he tells them to rejoice in the Lord, he says, let your gentle spirit or your patient spirit be evident. Another word for that is sweet reasonableness. I love that. It's got kind of a nice ring to it. Sweet reasonableness. Earlier he had urged the two women to live in harmony. See, here's the thing. Peace depends on God, and peace depends on what I choose to let my mind dwell on. See, Paul mentions both of those in this letter, in this chapter. In this reference to peace, consider Paul was just talking about conflict, and peace depends on what they expected to happen in that conflict. So did they have to win? Did they have to be right? Or could they exhibit a reasonable spirit? So you can be right or you can be happy, but you can't be both. I wrote a blog on that, timbutler-com, in case you want to check it out. You can be right or you can be happy, but you can't be both. Think that one through. Look at a little kid, right? They're right. They they deserve it. It's right. But they're totally not happy. But I wasn't going to totally unpack that. But if you have to be right all the time in conflict, you're not going to be peace-filled. Paul says, let your sweet reasonableness or your patient spirit be evident. And then he says a line that we probably all read, if you grew up in the church, a lot of times, the Lord is near. The Lord is near. In the Greek, that word is from the base word to squeeze. Think that one through. It's near enough to squeeze. The Lord is near, so there's no need to be anxious. 
or as Craig Dixon has been known to say, no need to be wrapped around the axle. Imagine this scenario. Imagine you're camping with your kiddos in a tent at night. One of her younger kiddos has a bad dream or hears something go bump in the night. And they cry out, Mom, Dad. And what might you say to them? I'm right here. Right? I'm near. So there's no need to fret. There's no need to harm. I'm right here. The Lord is near. So he's telling the church, one, be gentle. Two, be at peace. The Lord is very close to you at all times, even if you don't feel it. And when we talk about feelings, it's a delicate subject because we all have them and they're all very real, but they don't always reflect reality. So we need to balance feelings with facts. Peace does not mean I ignore the facts. That's called denial. Peace means I feel protected in the middle of facts or circumstances. Why? Because the Lord is near. So Paul says the character of peace is an inner calm, a sense of God's presence, and a sense of being protected by God. The Lord is near. Then in verse 6 he says, Be anxious for nothing. And that word anxious, it's easy to say it, especially when you apply it to somebody else. Hey, don't be anxious. It's easy. But you know what? Here's what that really means. It doesn't mean normal care and concern. If you love someone, you care for them. Some of you may know Michael and Teresa Brown, and great family in this community. Teresa Brown was in an accident this week. It was in the paper, and her car rolled into all kinds of funky things, and she had to get cut out. And Michael had to drive to the scene, her husband. And clearly, while driving to the scene and not knowing the details of the incident, he would have been concerned. And he would have been anxious. And that's not what this is referring to. That's a normal response to an unnormal event. So as he drove to the scene, I'm sure he prayed. I'm sure he went through all that. But still, there's a sense of what's going on with my wife. She's in a car getting cut out by Jaws of Life. So that's not what this is referring to. Because there's a normal part of our human emotion that's going to be uh, careful, concerned-filled, But this anxiousness really means to be torn up or debilitated by your emotions. Controlled by your emotions. More chronic, more long-term. And not really grasping the fact that the Lord is near. He says, you're not going to be at peace, which is the opposite of anxiety, if you're all torn up inside. And then he talks about the disciplines of peace. He tells them if you're thinking right, and if you're thanking right, then God will give you peace. So let's read that in context. Let's let's read it in the New Living Translation, which should be up there. It says this, Don't worry about anything. That's your thinking. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all He has done. That's your thanking. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. So again, this is the chronic um, 
anxiety that is more pervasive than not. It's not simply because something just happened just now. It's more of a way of living for some people. And if I practice my thinking being controlled, and if I practice my thankfulness for what God has done, His peace, His peace will guard my heart and my mind. So it's, it's a learned behavior when it comes to ways of dealing with problems. And it's the provisions of God, the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit living inside of us if we've given our lives to Christ. So it's not just sheer willpower. But since these folks were Christ followers, it would be exhibiting one of the fruits of the Spirit, which is self-control. In this case, self-control over my mind. See, I'm able to feel the presence of God and the protection of God. And the peace of God when I control my thoughts and practice thankfulness. Which in this room at this time might be pretty easy. But maybe it's not always that easy on Monday and Tuesday and Friday. So it's a learned practice. It's a learned skill. Then he goes on to write a sample, a list of things for them to practice thinking about. And he says, whatever is true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, so forth. In the context of this letter, this refers to, to doctrine or the gospel or Christ. He says, think about the reality of God. Think about the future of your faith. What are, you, what are you living for? What is the realities of life? This is not think of a pretty sunset or imagine a great vacation, although there's nothing wrong with that, but it's, it's more the line, that's more along the line of power of positive thinking, which I'm not referring to, because that eliminates the presence of the Holy Spirit. But he says, I'll give you some things to think about. I'll give you some things to worship. Worthy of praise. Dwell on those things. Then he sums it up in verse 9. The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you. He's saying, what I've said and what I've told you about and what I've modeled for you, live there. And the peace from God will be yours. And finally, he tells them of the key ingredients of peace, which is being content or adapting, adaptation. Meaning, being content, whatever circumstance you find yourself in, whatever you have, wherever you are, because God will give you strength. And certainly my situation is minuscule, but... This is my second shoulder surgery, and I have really attempted to just totally be content in my temporarily disabled state. I have a disability right now, and I've learned just to be content with that. Learn not to fight it, learn to go with the flow, and there's a certain mindset of frustration, if you will, that can easily arise when something isn't just quite right. 
And certainly when I can't change this, I can't heal this, I can't move it forward. So I have to go with the flow, which moderately means some sleepless nights. But I've really tried just to be content with that. Because that's kind of the way I roll, because I really try to seek peace in every circumstance. And I'm not exalting myself. I'm simply saying, I'm with you in this journey of trying to seek peace in whatever circumstance I'm in. And so we're going to read that again in the New Living Translation. Not that I was ever in need, for I've learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live in almost nothing or with everything. I've learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it's full stomach, empty stomach, plenty, little. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. That's the adaptation part. That's the being content part. But we're going to look at a couple Greek words here, which I find pretty interesting. He said, I've learned to be content. I had that Greek word better in my head, but I can't say it now, so I won't butcher it. But the Greek word for content means independent of external circumstances. I've learned to be content in God, independent of external circumstances. He says the secret to peace is to be accustomed to or adapted to whatever's going on around you, independent of the chaos. He also said, I've learned the secret. Those are the same two Greek words. Those two words in English are the same word in Greek. Mueo means to accustom one to a thing. Also means to initiate into the mysteries. Again, not ignoring it, not denying it, but accepting it. Essentially, learn to be satisfied with God. Learn to be satisfied in God, regardless of what life is throwing at you. Because we're always going to have something around us that isn't quite right. Always. Always. What do I do with that? Paul did not get there overnight, and neither do we. It's something we grow into. So we learn from these last two chapters that if we want to be right relationship with God and to have peace, we will not love anything more than God. We will not live for anything more than God. And again, it's a ranking issue here. It doesn't mean I I don't love any other things, but it's a ranking thing. What's on the top of my list? What's the deal breaker? At the end of the day, who and what is most important in our life? If that is God, then you're on your way to experiencing the peace of God. We control our thinking or our attitude of gratitude. God, through the empowering grace of God, is giving us the strength to do so. And that's what Paul refers to in verse 13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now I want to close with this caveat, and I might ruffle a few feathers and so... No hate email this week, please. But it's not in this chapter, but it's consistent with Scripture, elsewhere in Scripture. When it comes to emotions, 
Sometimes they are better dressed and better managed through a medical model. Let me give you an example. When I was in the fifth grade, just a wee lad, I wanted so desperately to see the blackboard and to do all the work that was done on the blackboard, but little Timmy couldn't see the blackboard because little Timmy had bad eyes. So I went to the doctor. The doctor evaluated me. He said, little Timmy needs needs glasses. So I got my glasses, and I got mocked for them, and I still carry those trauma to this day, but I'll work with that. And then I could see the board, and I could do what was on the board only because science had given me the medicine for my eyes to be able to then see the board and do the work. See, my glasses weren't magic, but they worked powerfully in my life so I could do what I needed to do. So two, for some people, they need to address the factory in the brain and the appropriate production of neurochemicals before they can be intentional about the things that Paul relates to peace. Obviously, this is done with careful evaluation of somebody who's trained in that and does not apply to everyone. But I just want to give voice to those who might need more than simply read the Bible more. As I didn't need any more, read the blackboard more. I needed glasses when I was in fifth grade. So having said that, I'm going to leave you with the same admonition that Paul told the church then and there. Rejoice in the Lord. Thrive in God to find peace. Let's stand. The worship team can come up. And we will close. Father God, thank you so much for being the Prince of Peace. For giving us peace through the death of your Son. God, thank you for our salvation. Thank you for the Holy Spirit that lives within inside of us. And for that power that we carry with us. God, teach us to evaluate our thinking. Teach us to evaluate our thankfulness or lack thereof. And God, teach us to be satisfied with you. To be satisfied with whatever circumstances going on around us. And to find our hope in you to find our peace in you. And God, just allow us to be effective witnesses for you carrying that peace as we go this week. God, we love you. In Christ's name, amen.